Now this morning we are going to be continuing our current series through the Gospel of John that is called Life in His Name. Now you guys remember that when we started this series, we highlighted the purpose of this gospel back in John chapter 20, verse 31. And there, the apostle John wrote, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now, New Testament Greek scholars understand the words here in John 20, verse 31, that you may believe as either that you may decisively believe or in order that you may continue to believe. So on the one hand, to understand those words that you may believe as that you may decisively believe means the gospel of John is evangelistic. And we all know what evangelist uh, or evangelism is, right? It's proclaiming the good news. And the gospel of John is the good news about Jesus. It's the good news eyewitness account of Jesus the Messiah. It's the good news apostolic account of Jesus the Son of God. This gospel... This gospel is the good news announcement that anyone and everyone who believes in Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, will have eternal life. That is, a forever life in a right and loving, close and unbroken relationship with God. That means this gospel is for truth seekers. This gospel is for honest skeptics. This gospel is for those curious about Christ and Christianity. This gospel is for those who need freedom from sin, guilt, and shame. And this gospel is for those searching for a new start, a fresh life, a clean heart, and a real personal relationship with God in the community of God's people. Listen, when we read through the Gospel of John, it invites us to come and see. It invites us to believe and live. Now, on the other hand, if the phrase that you may believe is understood as in order that you may continue to believe, that means that this gospel is not only evangelistic, it's also for edification. You see, the content of this gospel built up the people of God in the first century Roman world in a time of daily opposition and persecution. The God-inspired, Christ-centered message of this gospel, it fortified the faith of the people of God when the pressure to renounce Christ and abandon Christianity was all around them in the world. And here we are, 2,000 plus years later, and the gospel continues to build us up as the believing followers of Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. I love this gospel because this gospel shapes our understanding and belief about God. This gospel causes us to love God more deeply. This gospel strengthens our confidence in God. This gospel emboldens our allegiance to God in this current age of skepticism and criticism and hostility against Christianity. Listen, we need this gospel. 
The church needs this gospel. This gospel is for us. Now, that's the purpose. Check out the prologue. The prologue in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18 that Pastor Char read for us, these first 18 verses introduce the most important themes of the gospel of John. And everything that follows verse 18 develops those themes. In our first lesson, Pastor Char provided a panoramic view of John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, introducing us to the Word who is God the Son. God the Son is distinct from God the Father and yet in person and yet one in substance. This is the doctrine of the Trinity. And we learn that God the Son eternally exists in perfect, harmonious, loving relationship with God the Father. And for this reason, the Bible can make the statement, God is love. This truth is something more than just an action statement that tells us something about what God does, such as God is loving. That's not what that statement says. But rather, this is an identity statement. It's an identity statement that affirms who the one triune God is. God is love. And here's the radical thing. Love eternally exists between God the Father and God the Son. And the Father and the Son wants us to be forever active participants in this perfect, harmonious, loving relationship with God. And here's the mind-blowing thing. He invites us into that. And this is the reason why God the Son, the Word, came into our world as a human being. He came to reveal God to us. He came to rescue us from everything that separates us from God. He came to bring us into eternal life with God, the forever, perfect, harmonious, loving relationship with God. And then last week, returning to the prologue, Pastor Brian zoomed in to John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. And there we saw that the Word is God the Son. The Word is eternal. He's uncreated, without beginning, without end. The Word is the creator of all things created. The Word is the source and the sustainer of life. Well, could we all just say hallelujah right now? Man. And today, we come to the prologue again. And we come here to meet and interact with God in John chapter 1, verses 6 through 13. Now, these verses contain five key words and two phrases that help shape the gospel message of the gospel of John. They are witness, light, true, world, believe. Those are the five key words and the two key phrases, children of God, and born of God. Now, God uses these words in the Gospel of John to tell us about the true light and the children of God. And so this morning, we invite you to come and see. We invite you to believe and live.
So our focus first goes to the true light. There in John chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, the author writes, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So here in these verses, we are introduced to a man named John. Now, this John is the man that the gospel writers Matthew, Mark, and Luke called John the Baptist. Now, later in John chapter 1, verse 15, and then in chapter 1, verses 19 through 36, this conclusion is going to be confirmed. This is John the Baptist, and John the Baptist is a key character in the story of Jesus. In fact, the Hebrew prophets Isaiah and Malachi, they foretold John's coming centuries before his arrival. Isaiah did it 700 years before, and Malachi did it 400 years before. And you could read what they said about John the Baptist in Isaiah 40 and in Malachi 3. And then when you open up the Gospel of Luke, that beloved historian... The Gospel of Luke records the details of John's birth announcement and his miraculous birth in Luke chapter 1. In fact, his part in the story of Jesus is spoken of in all four New Testament Gospels as well as the book of Acts. Now here in John chapter 1 verses 6 through 8, we see that John the Baptist was a man on a mission for God. We see that God sent John to Israel as a witness to bear witness about the light. Now, I think that most of us have all been called to jury duty. So we're familiar with what a witness is, right? A witness is someone who provides testimonial evidence to what he or she knows or claims to know to be true. And we see here that John testified as a witness about the light. Now, remember I said light is a key word? The word light appears 24 times in the Gospel of John, and the first appearing was back in John chapter 1, verses 4 through 5. And we're all familiar with light. You know, thinking about light, I thought about the five natural qualities that light possesses. It illuminates, it dispels darkness, it reveals, it generates life, and it brings warmth. And here in John chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, speaking about the light, we see that it is personified. Notice how the author speaks about the light using personal pronouns. He, him. Because here the light is the logos. It's the word that we've been introduced to. This is Christ, the light. Later in John chapter 8 verse 12, Jesus himself will claim, I am the light of the world. So when we think about the natural qualities of light, we can apply them to Christ the light. Christ illuminates darkened hearts and minds. 
Christ brings us out of spiritual darkness. Christ reveals the truth about God and us. Christ brings spiritual life. Christ fills our hearts with the warmth of God's love. That's what Christ does for us. And as I think about Christ in those terms, I got to tell you, even for someone that's been walking with Jesus for over 40 years now, everything still feels fresh. And this gospel will develop this theme of Christ the light as we get further into it. But we see here that John's mission was to prepare the hearts of the people of Israel for the arrival of Christ the light. Just listen to his testimony. In John chapter 1, verse 15, John the Baptist declared, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. In John chapter 1, verse 29, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then in John chapter 1, verse 34, he says, I have seen and bore witness that this is the Son of God. And we further learn that John testified about Christ the light, and here's the purpose, here's the reason. Don't miss this. That all might believe through him. You know, that phrase connects this moment with John's purpose statement that we saw in John 20, verse 31. And just in case you forgot, again, John wrote, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The word believe appears 98 times in this gospel, and it appears for the first time here in verse 7. Now, this word, believe, means more than just intellectual assent. It is confidence. It is reliance. It is allegiance to the person of Christ. And this kind of confidence, this kind of reliance, this kind of allegiance to Christ results in eternal life, as we saw in the purpose statement in John 20, 31, and becoming the children of God that we'll see later in verses 12 and 13. But before we move on from John the Baptist, the apostle, the author of this gospel, has one more thing he needed to say about John. And that was that John the Baptist was not the light. In other words, he was not the Messiah. He is not the Logos, the word that the world is waiting for, that the world is in need of. You see, when people asked John if he was the Messiah, he emphatically denied it. He instead, he esteemed Jesus the Messiah above himself. You see, for John the Baptist, his mission and his message were to point people to Jesus, not to himself. As Oswald Sanders wrote in his classic book, Spiritual Leadership, he said that John prepared the way, cleared the way, then got out of the way. And that 
that's a good application for anyone and everyone that has a desire to serve in ministry. And so John testified, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He must increase, but I must decrease. He said those words in John 3, verses 28 and verse 30. But here's the thing, though. Even though he was not the light, Jesus did still refer to him as a burning lamp. But here we see that Christ is better. He'll always be better. Here we see that Christ is esteemed because he should always be esteemed. You see, John was a lamp in John 5.35, but Christ is the light. John was the voice in chapter 1, verse 23, but Christ is the word. Christ is always better. And Christ must always be esteemed as preeminent. And then in verse 9, we read, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Now, we know that Christ is the light, but now... That theme has been expanded, right? Here we now see that Christ is the true light. Christ is the real. He is the genuine. He is the authentic light. He is opposite of everything false, fake, and faulty. In the Gospel of John, Jesus the Messiah is the truth, the true bread, the true vine, and the true light. You see, the true light does for people what false, fake, and faulty lights cannot do. The true light shines the light of God's truth on people that can bring them out of darkness and into God's light and life. Now, guys, we know that there are many so-called lights in the world, right? They're all around us. These so-called lights in the world that claim to enlighten people, promising them that they could bring them into special knowledge and or deeper wisdom and or real spirituality. But here's what we all need to understand. Any light, any light that takes you someplace other than to God is a false, fake, and faulty light. Guys, these other lights only takes people into deeper lostness. Have you ever tried following the car lights of a guide in front of you on a dark and rainy night to a place you've never been to before? How many of you guys have ever had to do that? Man, I thought more hands would go up. Maybe I'm just that guy. You're thinking, wait a minute, that's why we got GPS. No, I'm thinking Thomas Guy days. Well, I'll tell you, I've had to do that before where it would be night. My friends have told me, hey, just follow me and we'll get to where we need to get to. But it's a dark, rainy night. And I'll tell you, this is stressful. The reason why it's stressful because when all the other car lights begin to crowd in, what does it do? It confuses our vision. And what 
can end up happening is that you get distracted and you end up following the wrong set of car lights. And the problem with that on a dark, rainy night is as you're following this set of car lights, you're going further and further away from where you're supposed to get to and you're going in the wrong direction and you don't even know that you've been following the wrong car until you get to the wrong place. Guys, there are many lights in the world that will vie for your attention, vie for your loyalty, vie for your obedience. But guys, if they take you to anywhere other than to God, these are not the true light. But Christ is different. When we talk about Christ, he is not one of many car lights in the world, but instead Christ is the blazing sun. Christ is a blazing sun that shines in full brilliance the knowledge of the glory of God. And the true light was coming into the world. And these words anticipate John chapter 1 verses 14 through 18, those amazing words in which we read, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the, the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the father's side, he has made him known. And with his coming, in verses 10 through 13, we see two reactions of people to the coming of the true light into the world. In verses 10 and 11, we read, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. This group rejected Christ the light when he came to the world of humanity. And we see in verse 11 that this included his own people. Now that description is for the nation of Israel. These are the people that God redeemed and entered into a covenant relationship with. These are the people that God gave the scriptures and the messianic promises to. These are the people that God called his own special people. They were the people of the messianic promises. And when the Messiah, the light of the world, entered into time and space, into the world of humanity, rather than being greeted with a hearty, cheerful welcome, as Isaiah the prophet said, he was rejected and despised. And this is going to become more evident as the storyline of the gospel of John unfolds. But here's what I want us to see this morning. Rejection was not the only response to Christ. Because in verses 12 through 13, we meet another group. 
So having seen the true light, now let's focus on the children of God. Because John tells us in verses 12 through 13, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. I love these words. I'm so glad these words are in not only the Gospel of John, but in the Bible. These words speak of real, radical change that happens to people who believe in the whole Christ, the Son of God. In John chapter 1, verse 13, this experience is called born of God. In John 3, verse 3 and 6, this experience is called born again, but can also be translated born from above and born of the Spirit. And in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, this experience is called regeneration. This is a new birth. It is a spiritual birth into a new life with God. In fact, I want you to listen to how this new life is described in the Bible. I love this. The prophet Ezekiel, in Ezekiel 36, verses 35 and 36, or excuse me, verses 25 through 27, I wrote the wrong reference there, Ezekiel 36, verses 25 through 27, he described the new birth this way, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away and you will no longer worship idols and I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out of your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart and I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. Wow, isn't that just beautiful? Paul the Apostle summed up this experience in 2 Corinthians 5.17 with the words, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Wow. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's someone here listening to this message and you hear those descriptions of the new birth and your heart is just aching for that. Your heart is just yearning for that because you want new, a new life. Well, the message here is that it's possible. The message here is that it's available. And speaking about the new life, J.C. Ryle, born 1816, went to heaven in 1900. He wrote this, quote, The birth here spoken of is the new birth or regeneration, that complete change of heart and nature which takes place in a man when he becomes a real Christian. It is a change so great that no other figure but that of birth birth can fully express it. 
It is as when a new being with new appetites, wants, and desires is brought into the world. A person born of God is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Wow. So this morning, I'd like us to consider two points from these two Amazing verses in John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. And the first thing I want us to consider is the miracle of being born of God. This experience of regeneration, this experience of the new birth, it is a miracle. There is no natural scientific explanation to what is happening and how it happens. This is a miracle. Those born of God are the children of God. Listen, humans are born into the human race as the children of Adam, right? If we trace our family tree back far enough, we're all going to end up with the same set of parents, Adam and Eve. And we enter the human race as the children of Adam. So, for the children of Adam to become the children of God, there has to be a rebirth. We need to be born of God. And this rebirth, this spiritual birth, is a supernatural spiritual experience, not a biological one. This is why John emphasized in verse 13, the New Living Translation puts it this way, they are reborn not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. This is why that same passage in the New English Translation says, children not born by human parents or by human desire or a husband's decision, but by God. We do not become God's children as a result of having Christian parents or having been born into a family that has a long history of church attendance. Or because of our pedigree, like the Jews boasted in the fact that they were the descendants of Abraham. This regeneration, this new birth, it is a supernatural spiritual experience, not a biological one. And so I want you to note the word become. Now I know that in some translations of the Bible, that word become is but I think become should be the better word. There in verse 12, because the Greek word translated become means to begin to be. It means to come into existence. So listen, become implies that we were not God's children when we were born into this world. I know that everybody wants to think of themselves as being the children of God. Non-Christians like to think of themselves that way. But the reality is, the Bible describes our spiritual state in the most shocking and gloomy terms. 
in 1 John 3.10, it uses the term children of the devil to describe those who are outside God's family. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, the Bible uses the term children of wrath to describe those who are outside God's household. So now do you understand how the word become is a miraculous word? It communicates a miraculous transformation. Think about this. The children of the devil and the children of wrath become the children of God. There's no human explanation for that. That's not the result of pedigree. It is a supernatural, spiritual transformation. Listen, we cannot change ourselves on our own. The prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 13, 23 asked, Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard its spots? Neither can you do good who are accustomed to doing evil. But here's the good news. God can do for us that thing we cannot do for ourselves. That is, regenerate us. When Jesus was talking to a rich young ruler about how to inherit the kingdom of God, Jesus said some radical things to him that made the rich young ruler walk away sad. But for the rest of the disciples that watched and heard this conversation, they were perplexed because in their minds, rich people were the ones that were blessed by God. And if a rich person can't get to heaven by just being a rich person, then who can be saved? That was the question. Then who can be saved? And Jesus replied, what is impossible with men is possible with God. Guys, if there's one thing I hope none of us do, it's to eliminate the miraculous from regeneration. It blows my mind when people could ever get to a place in their life that watching someone coming to Christ is not an exciting moment. It sounds like the polite clap at a golf tournament instead of the loud cheer of a Super Bowl. When people push back and say, Where, where's the miracles happening in the world today? When people are being transformed, born of God, becoming the people of God. That's a miracle. You see, God regenerates us by his spirit and grace. Listen to this description in Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 7. Once we too were foolish and disobedient, we were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy, and we hated each other, but... 
when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy, he washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ our Savior because of his grace he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. Wow. And God regenerates us by his word. In 1 Peter 1.23, the apostle wrote, You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. But having seen the miracle of being born of God, now I want you to see what these verses tell us about how to become the children of God. Because this offer is not just for a select few. This invitation is for everyone and anyone. We read in verse 12, but to all who did receive him. So unlike the people who rejected Christ back in verses 10 and 11, now we are introduced to a group that did receive Christ. And those that received Christ, notice it says they believed in his name. Believed here speaks of a definitive act of faith. John says that they believed in his name. That is, they believed in his name and nature. Or in other words, they believed in the whole Christ. It's amazing how often people say they want to believe, but they're selective in the Christ they want to believe. And so they diversify Christ. There's some Christs, parts of Christ that they'll embrace, and then other Christs that they'll ignore, and other Christs will say, yeah, I should keep that around, but I'll just keep it in my back pocket. That is not the meaning of believing in his name. If you are going to have this kind of faith that is spoken of, you believe in the whole Christ. Saving faith is not merely believing in something, it's believing in someone. Namely, Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. Because what matters most is not that you have faith. That seems to be another common thing that people say, right? Man, just have faith, just believe. Well, in what? Having faith in faith can't save you. It's the object of our faith that validates the quality of our faith. Who is your faith in? Who is my faith in? And this belief yields to allegiance to Christ and a complete trust in Christ. Have you pledged your allegiance to the Lord Jesus? Yes, we believe and agree upon 
facts concerning Christ. But what are you doing with those facts? Have you pledged your allegiance to Christ? Do you trust Christ as your Savior and King? Because to them he gave the right to become the children of God. You see, in response to our faith in him, Christ grants us a new status as the children of God. This right, this status, this includes a new identity. You see, we are God's accepted and beloved children now. It includes a new nature. You see, as the children of God, we want to love God. We want to love God's people. We don't want to continue in sin. We want to live in a God-pleasing way. We want to continue believing in Christ. This new status as the children of God also includes a new relationship. God is our Father, and we are His children. It includes a new family. It means that we're all members together in the family of God. Guys, do you understand? This is why what's happening right now in this place, gathering like this is a big deal. I hope church gathering never becomes merely a matter of convenience for us. Man, a family thing is happening here. Because this is our status as the children of God. And it also includes a new inheritance. We are co-heirs with Christ. And all of this that's recorded in John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, it sets us up for the epic account between Jesus and a Jewish Pharisee named Nicodemus that's coming in John chapter 3. So I'm going to invite the worship team out, and we're going to move into a response time at the Lord's table. But in preparing our hearts for this, let me share a word of application. In John chapter 3, Jesus said these words, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life. But the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life, so don't be surprised when I say, you must be born again. When I was a missionary in Brazil, in those earlier years, I formed a really sweet friendship with a Presbyterian pastor and a Presbyterian congregation. And I had the opportunity not only to fellowship with them, but to also speak as a guest speaker in their Sunday services and in different conferences. And I started building a really great relationship with the church leadership. 
But I remember one day that friend, that pastor of that church called me and he said, John, things are happening at our church. Revival. And I said, man, you got to tell me about it. What's going on? And he goes, here's the deal. I got together with my leadership and we started talking about the new birth and one after another, all of our leaders started getting born again. And I'm like, wait a minute. These are your church leaders and they weren't even born again? That first year I was pastoring our church in Brazil, I was preaching through the Gospel of John, and we came to the story of Jesus and Nicodemus and about the new birth, and there was a man sitting in the front row that was waiting for me, and so I came and sat with him, and he said, John, that was a great talk, but man, this whole thing about the new birth, I don't get what that is. This guy had been in ministry for 10 years, and I looked at him, and I said, well, wait a minute. You're telling me you've been in ministry for 10 years and no one ever told you that you need to be born again? And he said, I don't even know what that is. So that made me realize that it is possible to be in a church gathering like this. And there are people that are trusting in the natural to make them right with God. I go to church. I go through a read through the Bible in a year plan because someone tells me I have to do that. I even tithe. But do you understand that those things cannot make you the children of God? You must look to Christ who is the light, the one who loves you and gave himself for you. And the moment you say yes to Jesus, you will become the participant of the greatest miracle that happens in the world today, regeneration. You want a new life, a fresh start, a clean heart, something that religion can't provide for you, something that morality can't provide for you, something that no one other than Jesus can do for you? then today, today is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. The Bible says, call on the Lord while he may be found. Give your heart to Christ now. And I can't think of a better place and a time to do that than at the Lord's table where Jesus broke the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. And he took that cup filled with wine and he said, take and drink. This is my blood. This is the sign of the covenant that I'm making with you. And he says, do this often in remembrance of me. So I'm going to invite you to come to the table not simply to receive the bread and the cup, but come to the table to meet with the whole Christ. And if you're unable to come, then we're going to invite you. We, wanna, we want you to share with us. And so we're just going to invite you to just raise your hand and 
And someone's going to come to you with the different element or with the elements of the, the bread and the cup, and we want to make sure that you have those elements in your hand. But if you have not yet trusted in the whole Christ, if you've got part of Christ and you're content with this Jesus that lets you get away with whatever you want to do and you just compartmentalize Christ and you walk away with the Christ stuffed in your back pocket and you're realizing, man, I've been, I've been relating to that Christ, then you know what? Today's the day that we come to the table and say, Jesus, have all my heart because I want all of you. Amen? So, Father, I thank you for the church. I thank you for your people. And I thank you for those that are going to come and say, Lord, I'm so sorry for my sins. I'm so sorry for my disobedience. I'm so sorry for the way I have cheapened you in my life. And I ask you to forgive me. And I receive you, all of you today. And I ask you to be my savior. I ask you to be my king. Forgive me. And as I receive all of you, Lord Jesus, take all of me. And Lord, for those that will say that in their own words to you today, we thank you for that. We pray that your spirit will build them up. And we pray for Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa that Christ will continue to be magnified here. We receive the bread, we receive the cup with thanksgiving and gladness of heart in the adoration of the whole Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.